What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today Sean is joined by Liz Wiseman Liz is a former executive at Oracle She worked there over the course of 17 years as the vice president of Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development Currently, Liz is the president of the Wiseman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley. Some of her recent clients include Apple, Disney, eBay, PayPal, Facebook, Gap, Google, Microsoft, Nike, and Salesforce.com, as well as Twitter. Liz has been listed on the Thinkers 50 ranking and was named one of the top 10 leadership thinkers in the world. She's the author of three best-selling books, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work, and The Multiplier Effect, Tapping the Genius Inside Our Schools. She has conducted significant research in the field of leadership and collective intelligence and writes for Harvard Business Review and Fortune. Liz, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Oh, Sean, I'm great. I'm great. I got up early to see the supermoon, blue moon, lunar eclipse. Were you able to see it? Yeah, I was. I was. I'm not sure it was like, wait, set your alarm for 4 a.m. Spectacular. But it was amazing that these three events kind of all coincided on one night. Yeah, no, my wife and I, we got up on the East Coast and unfortunately uh, not at a high enough elevation. So we were unable to see it, but was saw some pictures that obviously looked amazing. Yeah. So I want to dive right into this. I'm curious, what's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you in your business career? Oh my goodness. I've had people do such incredible things for me. Um, I'll give you a couple dramatic ones, but you know, in some ways the nicest things people have ever done have been just small, like acts of service when I needed it. Um, there's, there's one in particular, um, I don't know if it's the nicest thing. It's by far the most courageous. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot being said about the gender pay gap. And I'll tell you my experience with the gender pay gap is I, you know, I joined Oracle at a business school and started for sort of a typical MBA salary. I didn't negotiate that. I just sort of took what was offered. I thought it was a fair salary. Well, I got thrown into leadership positions pretty early on and, you know, Within a couple of years, I had a pretty big job, and my boss, Phil Wilson, who was the head of HR for Oracle, he advocated for this big raise for me, and it was this really, really large raise, and I can't remember the percentage, but it was probably closer to doubling my salary than like a a normal 20% raise, which would have been a huge raise, and and it got rejected um, by... Oracle's executive committee because it was so far out of line with what a normal raise was. And um, it turns out, and I, I didn't hear this from my boss. I heard it from the, the CFO, um, who the, the head of HR, who was my boss, said, well, you know, Liz is doing this job. And yeah, she's young. And and this is an enormous and, and in some ways incredible um, salary increase, but she's doing the job and we need to pay her for the job she's doing, not for her comp history. And again, there was pushback because it was just such an outrageous increase for someone so young. And it wasn't something I had asked for. I was unaware that any of this was happening. But my boss, um, he said, you know, I feel so strongly that we need to pay her for the job she's doing and for her capability, not for her history or her ability to negotiate early on in her career, that he put his job on the line. He said, if we can't do this, I just can't work here. And I mean, it still to this day blows me away that he did this. And he didn't do it in some like prima donna, like attention getting act. He was just this incredible, and he still is an incredible man of principle. And this just was a principle he felt strongly for. And I don't know. And and I get inspired when I think back about what he did for someone young in her career. I mean, I love this question because I just love seeing where your thoughts go along with this. And we can clearly see just the lasting impact this had on you, but take yourself back to that time. What was the impact it had on you at that moment? My esteem for him. I, I mean, I, this was already someone I really had a tremendous amount of respect for, but, you know, I just thought like, who would do that? 
you know, he didn't have to do it. This wasn't something I was pushing for. I didn't ask for it. He just, you know, and, and I think one of the things, um, I don't, it's hard to go back and completely unwind sort of the way I see it today versus the way I saw it then, which was, you know, 25 years ago uh, ish is I think it taught me that people of principle have a place in in business. Like we often think about what happens as people get um, powerful and wealthy um, and, and, you know, and have status in organizations, how, how corrupting it can often be for people. But, um, you know, and, and the other part of this story is that it got approved that Larry Ellison, who was originally probably the one who said, no, 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 this is ridiculous. They like, I love Liz too, but like she's 20 something years old and, you know, but he's like, you know, you're right. And he ended up agreeing to it. Um, but I don't know. It just taught me that there, there, there is a place for people who lead through principles and are uncompromising in those. I mean, that's such a great story. I appreciate you sharing that. And you mentioned your ability to lead early and also rise up in the management ranks. What initially got you interested in leadership and management? Okay, so I have to I have to interrupt because you, you described it as my ability to lead early. And that that's probably not accurate. Oh, so that's false. <laughs> You're false. fooling everyone. Yeah, no, 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 I wasn't fooling anyone at the time. I got thrown into leadership. So it wasn't like... I deserved to be there. It's not like I had this incredible ability to lead. It was more situationally based. I, I joined this rapidly growing software company and I'm in the right place at the right time. And I think, I don't, I, I don't think I knew really anything about leading. The thing I think I was good at was I knew how to say yes to things. Uh, today, I call it the naive yes, meaning, <laughs> so I'm... <laughs> Like, this is probably my only real skill um, that I've done consistently across my whole career. But man, Sean, I rock this. Like, I do this really, really well. Is um, And I always find it funny when people talk about, you know, my thought leadership, because I'm like, oh, really? In some ways, my, my best thoughts are my shallow thoughts. But I'm really quick to say yes to things I don't know how to do. That's, I call it the naive yes. And it's, it's agreeing to do something before you've actually thought it through and before you have the capability. And, you know, Oracle was growing and they needed someone to lead. And I was someone who would just say like, oh, I can do that. I can handle that. So when they asked, I just said, yes. So I didn't have, I did not have the ability. I just had the, um, the willingness. Did you have this willingness as a kid? Oh, yes. I, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I think I've been kind of naive and positive <laughs> my, my whole life. And like, it just, um, what is that? Like, there's like a Pippi Longstockings quote or said something like, I've never done anything remotely like it before. But yeah, I should be able to do that. I think the, I'd never tried that before. So I think I should definitely be able to do that. Something along those lines. It is. And is it Pippi Longstockings or am I making that up? I think you are. Yeah. What? Uh, I forget the first name. Lingren, I think, was the author. And yeah, it was part of Pippi Longstocking. It's a great part quote. Of Pippi um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I think I was, um, I don't know if it's blessed or cursed with maybe a little bit of an overabundance of what, you know, uh, Carol Dweck quite famously calls this growth mindset of, yeah, you know, that just doesn't seem that hard to me. And, and of course, it is harder than it seems. <laughs> And everything I've said yes to naively has been harder than it seems. But once you go through one or two of those, you go, oh, yeah, you know what? I've I've been here before. Like um, my publisher at HarperCollins, she says this is actually a trait she sees with a lot of her authors is this uh, this ability to um, get stuck like and, you know, anyone who's done any writing knows that there's like a point in every book or every chapter or sometimes even every paragraph where you like you're wandering in the wilderness. You're like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm stuck. This isn't right. It's not coming together. And and you just have to remind yourself, oh, I've been I've been lost before. 
I've been stuck. I've been like underqualified for a big job. And I've, I have found my way like up out of that hole or through the valley of death and I've gotten myself out. And so I'll just do it the next time. So I don't know. So I, that was probably. <laughs> I know, I'm so fascinated by that. Do you do anything physical during that time or do you really just look internally and try to process that through your, your uh, mental state? Oh, I mean, you're probably giving me way more credit than I. <laughs> no. I'm thinking, but Sean, that sounds like a to do. Um, now, I, I, I think it's it's just re, it's remembering. You know, it's probably just um, reflection of a remembering when you did something hard. Um, you know, for me, here's a kind of a silly one, but I think we all have these anchor experiences where we've done hard things and. You know, when we do those, we should like let them deeply imprint us because these become touchstones and or like anchors. And one funny one is when I was in high school, I um, participated in this four year class. So it went freshman to, to senior and it was this early morning a seminary class, a Bible study class, um, kind of a theology class. And it met from 630. Well, I think it went actually from six to seven in the morning. Like whose idea this was? I know not, <laughs> you know, to, to do this at 6am, but it was miserable and it was hard, but it was good. And I remember when I graduated thinking, oh, if I did that, I can kind of do anything. And I was mostly joking because it probably wasn't really that hard. It was about just dragging yourself out of bed every morning and going. But there's so many times where I'm facing something that's like uncomfortable or hard. And I think, oh, yeah, it, this is not a whole lot different than just, you know what? If you can do that, you can do this. And then if you can do that next hard thing, then you can do that. I don't know. I think it's just remembering. Yeah, I just love how beautifully you articulated uh, everything involved with anchors. I, I never heard it expressed that way. And there's there's clearly anchors in my life that I, I still look back to, even though they happen at a young age and it really has kind of formed me and who I am in my adult life. So that's that's just so fascinating to hear. And I, I also want to hear about your- Wait, wait, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, Sean, Sean, you don't get to say that no, and then no, I'll no. tell See, us Liz, about you, You're the guest here. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no. I, I can give you- Give me one, give yeah. me one or two. So I was, uh, this was in youth football. And I know you've had a son who's had a successful football career. Um, so I was playing, I think, three grades higher than what I was actually in. It was due to my weight. Um, so, I mean, youngest guy on the team, everyone else had probably gone through puberty. I hadn't. I was a lot smaller than a lot of the guys. And uh, I had the most physically and mentally demanding practice ever. And I think I was in the fifth grade at the time. And it was so hard on me. I was absolutely just devastated and shut down and just wanted to quit. I thought I could never show up to the next day. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to get through it and I showed up the next day. And uh, ever since then, I can look back and through my sports careers, everything like that, even in business, I, I still think back to that moment that you, you can get up and you can do that the next day. And looking back at that, that was just kind of a, an anchor in my life as you so beautifully articulated. Interesting. And so what's been one in your career as well, like that, that you, when you face difficult things, you, you remember back, you hearken back to one of these. Um, oh, great question. So my wife and I, we were living uh, out in San Diego, had a very good uh, corporate job and we both are from the East coast. So we wanted to move home. So I left my, my, uh, comfortable salary and living in San Diego, which was not easy by any means to, uh, to head back home to be closer to family. And at the time it was incredibly difficult. Uh, but to be very vulnerable here was one of the best decisions we ever made. Uh, fortunately, uh, about a year after we moved home, my wife's dad unexpectedly died. So it was awesome that she got to be with him for that final year. We had no idea he was going to. They actually worked together. So looking back, it was a very difficult thing. But now that we did it, we I could not be happier. Yeah, it, in some ways, isn't it like um, a, a mental muscle memory? Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of the way like, you know, physically you build up muscle memory and, and it's almost like just like mentally saying, oh, no, no, this is familiar to me. I've been, I've been here before. I have walked through the valley of death and I have found my way out. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I do think it starts a little bit with the naive yes. But you were you were going to ask something, but I wanted to hear about your anchor experiences. I think <laughs> we got a little sidetracked, but no worries. Yeah, no, I, I'm so fascinated. You mentioned how you kind of got thrown to the wolves and and got this job at Oracle. How did that even happen? How did I get the job, or how did I get how did you promoted? get the job, and then how did that lead to these constant promotions? It seems like. Well, you know, I how did I get the job? That you know, it's so interesting. I, I for me, it's. I don't know how I got that job. Um, you know, Oracle ha- had a very clear hiring profile. I think it was more what's maybe most interesting to me is what happened once I got the job. And because Oracle had this very clear hiring profile. So this is like back before Oracle was Oracle. When I joined Oracle, I was coming out of a business school where the companies that recruited at business schools were like IBM and Procter & Gamble. And I actually had a job offer from IBM and Procter and Gamble, but I turned them down to go work for this young Maverick software company. I'm, you know, raised here in this what we call the Silicon Valley area. And I wanted to come back home and work for a tech company. But nobody knew about Oracle. Everyone was like, you know, all my friends at like business school were were offering kind of like veiled condolences that like I couldn't get a real job because I was going to go work for this like small toothbrush manufacturer <laughs> called Oracle. And because like this is like software is still this kind of emerging industry at the time. And most people are going to work for big consulting firms or um, consumer packaged goods and things like that. But so I take a job and they had a very they have a very, very clear hiring profile, which is um, they were looking for this combination of three things, mm-hmm. um, maybe, you know, a little bit rarefied air sort of in the recruiting world. They wanted people like raw intelligence, just like pure smart. They wanted like freaky achievement orientation, you know, people who were really, really driven. And then the third was that they wanted nice and so I don't, and they, they hired, um, they recruited 17 schools and they were the like MIT, Caltech and Stanford and Harvard and, you know, Carnegie Mellon, these, um, a lot of technology, uh, universities and top universities. I did not go to one of those schools. So I don't really know how I got in on that other than maybe, like I scored high on nice and um, that like achievement orientation, maybe they, that naive yes thing, like I was um, emitting uh, like radars, like, uh, you know, like she just says yes to stuff. She's just willing to go do hard things. Um, but what was interesting is when I got in there, I was very aware that I did not totally fit their profile because I didn't go to one of these 17 schools. And you know, it wasn't, you know, Sean, I don't want to um, kind of mislead anyone in this. It wasn't like I got in there and had this like imposter syndrome experience where I felt unworthy to be there. I didn't. I just felt really lucky, really, really lucky to be there. And I was like, man, I work around really smart people. I'd come home from work. I'd tell my husband, like, man, these people are so smart and so interesting. And it was actually, um, that was that was actually the little seed that germinated this research. I did what seven, oh, 20 years later was studying the effect that intelligence has on teams. And, you know, cause what I noticed is that, you know what, not every, cause everyone was really smart and I'm talking like Mensa level, you know, pedigree education, kind of smart people. There was like Olympic athletes and all these really kind of driven achievement folks. And but what I noticed is not everyone that was smart caused smarts. Hmm. Like, I'm like, why is it? Because again, I, I'm a bit of like, so I'm I'm in a genius watching state going, man, I work with smart people. <laughs> like, I'm going to kind of like study these people almost from a bit of an anthropological standpoint. And I don't want you to think I was somehow sitting on the sidelines, not working, just observing. I mean, I'm like in the throes of this and I just noticed that, and because I got thrown into management really soon, and we've already talked about why that happened, because I was just like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see that problem. Like, that doesn't seem that hard. Like, and and I was kind of good at solving problems and just like learning fast. And, um, and, and so I got thrown into management. They're all kind of these brilliant people too. And I'm like, wait a minute, why is it that this guy who's really brilliant 
Like, how come everyone around him acts so stupid? Whereas this person, like, he's brilliant, too. He's just as smart, but yet people around him are smart. And and I think it was because I got thrown and sort of, like, stumbled into this mix of really smart people that I began to wonder, like, well, shouldn't really smart people have infectious intelligence? Shouldn't really smart people cause the people around them to be smart as well. You would think like, why is that really smart people sometimes cause other people to like play it safe and hold back? Like they're smart, but no one around them gets to be smart. And I'm like, Hmm. Oh, you know, cause that kind of sucks. And I saw, and part of it was just watching my colleagues that I thought were really brilliant. Um, I'd watch them come into a meeting with executive a in it and be brilliant. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, that's the gym I know. And, but they, I'd see them in another meeting and like Jim was not Jim anymore. Like, why is a Jim kind of like holding back? Why is he stammering? Like what, you know, like what, what happened to Jim? (laughs) So that was, um, you know, I, I, I think that was for me like this, this magic that came from being kind of like thrown into this mix of really smart driven people and you know on the nice thing i have to admit like sometimes they compromised on nice (laughs) i have to know what were the characteristics that these leaders possessed that really helped bring out the intelligence of those around them well yeah i did i I ended up studying that um and boy man i have to really roll back to think about what were some of my own observations at at Oracle. But, you know, I think if I roll all the way back to just what my observations at the time, it probably had a lot to do with um, confidence that actually you really want to work for a really smart person who's also really confident. Like in some ways, I want to go work for the genius who knows it. Hmm. And, And in some ways, part of what I do to coach leaders is I try to help them get comfortable with their own intelligence. Like I want to work I want to work for the guy who's like, I'm brilliant. Like I'm a genius. I'm really clear on this and and I'm over it. (laughs) Like like, I get it. I'm smart. I'm over it. So like I can now show up to work every day looking for ideas and intellect and capability and people around them. Like every day doesn't have to be show and tell for me. And, 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 you know, it's, we found that like there was this like, insecurity that often drove some of what I came to call these diminishing leaders. I saw it at Oracle, like they were, they felt like they had to prove themselves um, every day. Like, and you know how it is, you know, how meetings with these kind of people are, you, you know, what's it's the meeting is going to lead to an outcome that proves that they're the smartest one in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it just, it always ends up going that way. And, and so there was this confidence um, that people had that allowed them to get over themselves. And there was also, um, you know, a curiosity, you know, and you know this, and you know what it's like to work with people who are really actually curious, like, hey, I know a lot, but what I'm more interested in is what I don't know. And, and it makes them need other people. Um, and, you know, and I, I can tell you lots more about what I found when I studied it, but there were um, definitely some huge differentiators between the way these two different kinds of leaders um, operated. When you were speaking about these leaders and you were kind of creating that avatar in your mind of this self-confident leader who would bring out the best in others, is there someone that came front of mind to you? Well, I had, you know, um, I had a bunch at Oracle and that was another part of the magic of my early experiences. I, I had some amazing leaders. Um, you know, you talked about what's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me um, at work. And I shared something Phil Wilson done, but I think some of my best leaders were people who just weren't very nice. And they, they weren't, um, they weren't the kind of leaders that put their arm around me and said, you know, Liz, we just appreciate you. We're so glad you're on the team. I just really like you. (laughs) You The people who were um, these multiplier leaders to me were people who gave me really hard things to do. And so they had confidence in me. So not only do they have confidence in themselves, they have confidence in others. You know, they they kind of hold this belief that people are smart and are going to figure it out. And, and so they're like, okay, you seem bright and willing, as we've clearly established. 
And they gave me hard things to do. And then they just didn't have a whole lot of sympathy on me. Like they didn't go, oh, boohoo, Liz is struggling or, oh, (laughs) you know, this is hard, little sweetheart. Let me let me help you. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. I've heard you mention a quote before, kind of referencing these hard tasks you were given, and it was, instead of following your passion, why don't you just make yourself useful? Can you talk <laughs> about that? I, I, I love how you articulate this. Oh, I, you know, I don't even know where you read that. I remember writing that somewhere. Um, I found that in the, like the dark recesses, recesses of the internet blog or something, but, but okay. So I, I had this formative experience at, um, at Oracle and I think it just sort of, um, spiked up an orientation I probably already had. And, and that was, you know what, make yourself useful. Make yourself useful. Um, so I had been at Oracle for about a year, and they ended up disbanding our group. And so we were all kind of, you know, confidently scrambling to get new jobs because they're saying, okay, we're going to get rid of this department, but you know what, here, find another thing. And, you know, it's a growing company. There's lots of opportunities. And I'm interviewing for all these different jobs. And the the one that I really wanted, um, oh, in fact, you know what, I have, to, I have to back up before I get there. So I'm... I'm interviewing for this one job at Oracle. It's a software engineering job. Now, I come out of business school. I have no technical skills other than a few I learned in our new hire training. And someone said, hey, we want you to come interview for this job. And they're going through this list. And they're like, well, you know, do you know these three GL languages? Have you done this kind of coding, this kind of application development? This, And I'm answering no, 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 a little bit, no, a little bit. You know, I've been pretty pretty honest about this. And at the end of the interview, this is Mark Hebert. So um, if Mark Hebert, if you're out there listening, like I still remember this, he's the hiring manager and he goes, okay, great, great, great. He goes, "Um, we'd like to hire you for this job. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Like, even I know that that's ridiculous. And he's like, you know what, you're going to figure this out. But I I worked with people like that, that were kind of amazing, Um, which is, I think what helped me develop the sense of, you know what, you can learn and, you know, you can learn and you can learn fast. Um, so I'm interviewing for this job and it's actually a job that I want and it's to join what's this beginning, what would what, what, what go on to become Oracle University, this group that I ended up leading. And uh, I wanted the job and I did what, you know, I kind of thought you're supposed to do in these interviews. So I'm interviewing with my would-be vice president. So it would be my boss's boss, Bob Shaver. And I'm telling him about what I think I can bring to this team. You know, I'd been involved in some of the technical training, but I'm like, you know, I think Oracle really needs like management training. And I'm describing kind of this little vision I have for this and how I can contribute. And Bob, um, he said, you know, Liz, we, we just, we'd love to have you join this group. Like it'd be an honor for us to have you join this group and everything he said, but, and we totally like love where you're going with this and yeah, it's needed and we see it and we think you'd be great at doing that. But you know what? It's like, that's actually not our problem right now. Um, And again, just to back up, Oracle is doubling in size every year and they're gobbling up all 
of the technical talent they can out of all these top universities. And and he says, see, actually our problem right now is we're hiring thousands of technologists into the company. And he said, your boss has to figure out how to get those people trained, like enculturated and skilled up on Oracle technology so they can start building for us. And and he said, we, he, I, I get his words right. He said, like, we'd love to have you do this, but you know what? I suggest you f- help her solve that problem. Hmm. And it's not anything what I want to do. I have no like passion <laughs> for technical training. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get I work for a technology company, but you know, I really had passion for this leadership and management. But I so clearly heard what he was saying to me. He was saying, like, that's lovely for you, but make yourself useful, would you? And he said it in a very nice way, but I got the message and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go make myself useful. And if that is, you know, I had come out of business school, so I didn't know a ton about Oracle technology, but I knew enough about business to know that, you know, solve what's on the critical path. And if that was on the critical path for the company to continue to growing is to hire and train people in Oracle technology, that I would go solve that problem. And so I signed up to be a technology trainer, meaning I taught people how to use, how to program in Oracle, the Oracle toolkit. And these were people coming out of schools like MIT with master's degrees and PhDs in like artificial intelligence and computer science. And I'm teaching them programming, which was a ridiculous proposition, but I just brought candy to the class. And <laughs> And so I'm still, this is a little bit of the coup of my career is I see a bunch of these, you know, folks around town. I still live and work here in Silicon Valley. And people are like, oh, Liz, you were like my SQL plus teacher. You taught me PL SQL. And um, they do not have any idea that I had no idea what I was doing, (laughs) that I was like learning it the day before I was teaching it. And really the secret weapon here had nothing to do with me is my co-teacher, Leslie Stern, um, she had come out of Berkeley with uh, a degree in computer science. And so she and I were this really kind of mighty team together because she did know what she was doing on the technology and she taught me. Um, but but it was, and so I'm like, okay, I'll make myself useful. I'll go do this thing I don't really want to do. I'll go get good at it because, you know, no sense doing it poorly. And, and what happened is like once I... I did that, then this opportunity opened up and that opportunity. And when they needed someone to to lead the group, they asked me. And I think it was because I understood the technology. But I think more importantly, I think I had developed this orientation of, you know what, it's not about you. Find out what the business needs. Find out what your boss's problems look like and go solve, go solve her problems. Um, and I found that when you do that, when you make yourself useful and go solve the biggest problems of the business, like you start to get a lot more latitude. And soon it was, hey, Liz, what do you think needs to be done? And what do you want to do? You know, and it wasn't long before I got to start to build a management development program at Oracle. I mean, your story within Oracle is just remarkable, but you're taking on these new tasks, these new roles. I have to imagine you're a pretty incredible learner, huh? Well, I don't know that I'm any better than anyone else. It's not like I've got some secret. So then I'd like to uncover what what do you do then when, when all of a sudden you have to learn all this new technology that you're completely unfamiliar with? What's your process like? Well, I think so. I'm I'm no smarter than anyone else. So it's not like I have some massive brain capacity. My teenagers will tell you this because um, <laughs> they think I'm an idiot. Um, but I, I think there's. I think I'm a humble learner. Is is what I do. Like I'm willing to like reach out to people and say, "Hey, how do you do this?" Like my colleague Leslie, who knew how to do that, and she's like, "Liz, we got to learn you to to think like a programmer." And I'm like, what's that? This is great. <laughs> she's like, let me, t- I, 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 I said, I'm going to have to tell Leslie to listen to this. So she's come out of, of, you know, a, a, a rigorous, very smart, very, very gifted technically. And she's like, this is how programmers think. See, like for when me, when my program wouldn't compile, I'd be like, oh, that's right. This didn't work right. I'll change that, change that. And she's like, no, 
you identify one issue, you change it, you recompile your code, you test it, you run it. And if that works, then you make the second change, you recompile, you run. I'm like, oh, wow, that seems like a really slow way to work, you know? <laughs> but she's like, this is how programmers work. You've got to think like a scientist and isolate your variables. Well, you know, that thinking served me so well in so much of what I've done in business. Like, okay, isolate, test, you know, recompile, and then do the next piece. You know, she taught me to think in layers. Hmm. Um, I think I'm a humble learner. Uh, I'm pretty quick to ask people to teach me how to do things. Um, and then I'm pretty, uh, I know this is going to sound shocking to you, but I'm I'm like a pretty unashamed learner, meaning I don't mind looking a little bit foolish. Um, and I don't know, I, I just have this ability to laugh at myself when it doesn't go right. I mean, I think that's an invaluable skill set. Well, it kind of is. I think, you know, like if I, if I could stand on the top of a very high hill and kind of shout something to the world, I mean, it might be like, quit taking yourself so seriously. Like, learn to laugh at yourself. Um, my mom says I like kind of came out of the womb laughing and like, you know, since I was, I mean, it, like I was actually like class clown on my high school graduating class. So I mean, I've been like laughing at myself and everyone else for a long time now, but I found that it actually makes you a pretty good learner when you just don't take yourself that seriously. Oh, that's just tremendous advice. And you mentioned kind of being that humble learner. Is there anything you're really interested in right now that you're kind of taking that humble learner approach to? Well, I am taking a bit of a humble learner approach because I wouldn't really know how to do it another way, but I'm starting um, to work on a new book. And I've got a bunch of ideas and I've got a bunch of things, but I decided um, that rather than just dive in and start to work on any one thing that I would take a, um, a little bit of a learning sabbatical and, um, I'm doing it right now. I've kind of dragged my whole team into this, but I've decided that I'm just going to take, um, the next month. So right now, you know, we're talking to each other, I guess we're on the last day of January today and I've been prepping and getting ready for the month of February, which I've kind of cleared my calendar. I've got a few things I have to do, but I'm just going into learning mode and, um, I'm going to go out and visit with lots of different companies and I'm just going to go and put all of my thoughts aside and just go learn about what life is like in the corporate world right now. And I'm going to spend a month doing it. Um, That's fascinating. Before I get started on the research because I don't know, um, you know, you can convince yourself, you know, how things are, but most of us really don't. I'd be so curious to know what a day would look like when you're going into one of these businesses you're unfamiliar with. So I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone in the corporate world and they're showing up every single day and they're not really looking outside the box where they can uncover new information. So I feel like if, if you kind of articulate what it's like for you over this next month, maybe someone will go into work tomorrow with a different set of eyes and, and see things differently and how they can improve their business. Well, I am, I'm going to do a bit of a, a listening tour. Um, I hadn't really connected this until just now, but, you know, I think it's, it's similar to what Mark Zuckerberg um, did. And for him, I think he did it post, um, you know, 2016 presidential election where he's like, oh, wow. Um, you know, Facebook is being sort of accused of maybe, you know, spreading misinformation and all sorts of things. He's like, oh, maybe things aren't quite what I thought they were. And so he went on a tour of the United States going out and just talking and having dinner with families of people of all sorts of different backgrounds and just kind of learning what's going on in the world. And, you know, um, Mark being a founder and a CEO would find himself in a position that virtually every other CEO or person in a position of um, power or wealth or fame might find themselves in. It's like you live in this arranged world. And you know, I think it's one of the things that's so misunderstood about senior leadership is how little they really can see. You know, we all think, oh, they're at the top of the organization. They have visibility. Like they can see things that people at the bottom of the organizations can't see. <laughs> I don't think it's that way at all. I think, you know, you get sort of blind as you get up into top in positions of power. You know, people tell you what you want to hear. Things that are hard for other people are easy for you because there's people who are there to make your world easy. You live in an arranged world. Um, 
you know, you often don't get bad news because people want nothing more than to please and to give you good news. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to do something similar just to clear my head is to just go listen. And uh, essentially, I'm just going to put up a booth uh, metaphorically and just say, I would like to just have you tell me what your world is like. And I've got a bunch of questions, but I'm just mostly going to be listening. I cannot wait to uh, read your next book and see what really comes out of that listening. And I mean, you, you had this amazing 17-year career at Oracle and then decided to leave to start the Wiseman Group. Can we talk about how difficult that was to leave and what really made you make that decision? Well, I yeah, the decision was an easy one. And it wasn't that I didn't like working at Oracle. I loved working at Oracle. Um, it was this amazing experience for me. But I had been on such a steep learning curve, like getting new jobs, new responsibilities that, you know, you get to a point where suddenly you know what you're doing and you would think it would feel really good. Like you've arrived somehow, you know, people come to you for your advice and people benchmark what you've done. And and it actually felt very um, hollow. And so I really left Oracle in search of something I didn't know how to do. Uh, You know, it, it just had become too easy, too comfortable. And, you know, honestly, a lot of my friends were like, what are you doing? Like, you're leaving a great job. Like, it was a great gig. I was well paid, uh, you know, a very comfortable job, um, easy job in some ways. Big job, but easy job. And so I I felt like I needed to go get back on a steeper learning curve, get back into what I call rookie mode. And you know, if anyone has familiar with any of my work, you know, I've written this book on, on it's called Rookie Smarts, but it's about why we tend to actually be at our best when we're doing things for the first time. So I felt like I needed to kind of like get my rookie on, so to speak. Um, but and so it wasn't a hard decision to make, uh, and it wasn't actually that hard to leave. I um, it was really hard to leave the people I cared about, and honestly, like the, my last day at work. I didn't even say goodbye to some people because I was blubbering and, you know, I'm not a, not a pretty crier. And, (laughs) and I left, I got my car and then I went, drove out to the coast where my, my husband and family had started like this long beach weekend thing. And so I, I had this like hour and a half drive down to the coast. Um, and I just sobbed the whole way, you know, because I was so sad to be leaving my friends, but also a world I understood and was like comfortable in. So it was, you know, it was hard. I went out on my own, you know, kind of hung up a shingle, started doing executive coaching and, and it's this interesting transition. And so I'm, I'm leaving a place where I'm like, you know, an executive at Oracle and you go to a dinner party and people ask what you do. And you just say like, you know, vice president at Oracle. And they're like, Ooh, (laughs) wow. Like you're important. And then you tell them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, you know, did this kind of work. And I'm like a management researcher, whatever you tell them. And they're like, oh, that's nice. And then they're looking for who's like the next person I can go talk to. And and so you, you know, you realize what it's like when you're working under somebody else's brand and under the protection of a of a company and a brand and cachet. And then you go out on your own and it's just you. And, you know, it's a, it's a big transition. And um, it was hard because, you know, I started, I started my own company. And like, I remember when we were, I was like, we, no, I, you know, was building this first website and I was trying to decide on the colors. And I kid you not, Sean, I, I stopped and thought, okay, well, who do I need to, get approval on for this. Cause yeah, I've spent 17 years in a corporation and you don't change the colors of a website on your own. Like there's like a, a template and a color palette and there's a, you know, a design framework and branding kinds of things. And so I literally, it was my knee jerk reaction was, okay, who's like, who's in the approval chain? Who do I have to run this by? I'm like, no, you don't have to run <laughs> by anyone. And I'm like, and then I'm like, Oh, and then you realize like you're really accountable for all your own mistakes and there's no one to share that with. And, and so it is, it's a big transition. After having that freedom now, do you think you could ever go back in that corporate world? No. <laughs> are, are, are you upset that Don't it took you 17 years to, to do this then? No, no, not at all. Like I, I loved it. Like, and I could not do what I do now 
had I not spent 17 years, I mean, maybe I could have got away with 16, <laughs> but you know, out on good behavior after 16. <laughs> But now, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of people, I'm going to rant a little bit, Sean, can I rant? Please just do, please bit? do. Um, <laughs> donate me on. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of people who, who want to do the kind of work that I'm doing today, which is, you know, I'm, I, I describe it pretty boring. I'm a management researcher. Like I research, I write, I teach, and then repeat, you know, that's kind of, that's my work. And but a lot of people, they don't look at the research piece of it or even sort of the writing. They just look at the teaching and they're like, oh, I want to do that. And how do I do that? How do I do that at a college or how do I just go to that? And I'm like, well, you can, but you don't get to get all the learning that comes with having led and managed and having, you know, like I remember the day that I had to um, lay off 100 people from my team. 100 is a lot of people. We had to let go of 100 people in one day. And, you know, it it, it, it imprints you in a way or, or, you know, having to set up overseas operations. And, you know, so, so many of the challenges, like if I hadn't been through that, like what business would I have? Like I wouldn't, wouldn't understand the world that managers and leaders are in today. Like I would I don't think I could conjure up that much empathy just on my own. You know, I know there's some people who are good coaches and good um, thought leaders in the leadership space who maybe who haven't had those leadership experiences. They probably are just more naturally empathetic than I am. But I don't know. I think, yeah, so I, I, I don't think I would go back. And it's not that I hated that world. I just the impact that I've been able to have working more independent, I don't think I could give that up. Hmm. Wow. No one's ever going to hire me now. Like if I ever need a job, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sure there are, there are plenty of people and companies out there who would love to have you on their staff. <laughs> Unemployable. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well, Liz, I, I can honestly say this is one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in a long time. I, I really do appreciate the, the insights, the the stories you shared with us today. So where can the listeners stay connected with you? I know you've written three best-selling books. It sounds like you're going to have a fourth on the way. Where should they go? Well, the fourth isn't coming out anytime soon. I've got to do the the, the deep and long work around the research and, and the writing. But let me see. You can find me um, in social media. I'm at Liz Wiseman on Twitter. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, uh, information about the books, there's... Um, Multipliers, we actually have a new, um, a second edition out. Um, people are still buying the first edition and I'm trying to figure out what do I do to like tell people, hey, there really is a new edition with a, a lot more um, information in it. But multipliersbooks.com is the website. Um, there's another book, rookiesmarts.com um, and our little our little small but very mighty um, company, we are the wisemangroup.com. Not to be confused with WisemanGroup.com, which is an interior design firm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, let me think. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where you can find. Great. And you know, the books available everywhere. You know. Yeah, I will definitely have everything linked up in the show notes for the listeners, and I'm sure there will be plenty that are going to be purchasing your books and trying to reach out to you. So, Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate this. Sean, it was very delightful. And, you know, my hope is that maybe if anyone takes anything from our conversation, it was maybe from those first five minutes of like, when you're doing something hard, just remember, like find the muscle memory to the last time you did something hard and confusing and scary. And like, you already know how to do it. That's an unbelievable place to end. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory, attention, and brain health. 
I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Thanks for listening you, to you. another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.